Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week, we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and followed him. The word of our Lord. Anyways, let's, uh, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, come. We give you thanks and praise for this chance to be together to gather at your feet, to hear your word. We pray that you would help us to hear it well. Know you better, that we might make you better known in this world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I love the, uh, the call stories in the Gospels. I find these kind of wonderful moments of split-second decisions to follow Jesus without any warning, no hemming and hawing or excuses. I find it so compelling. I find it challenging in a lot of ways, but I think it's kind of wonderful. I like to imagine uh, Zebedee's, uh, the look on Zebedee's face as James and John drop their half-mended nets and take off after this unlikely rabbi. I can see Simon and Andrew's nets just kind of floating around in the Sea of Galilee where they left them as they hightail it after Jesus. And, you know, the obvious question is, is what would make them do such a thing? Let's see if we can try that. There we go. How can they just leave everything and take off after some guy that they may or may not ever have seen before? And the easiest answer is that it has everything to do with the culture of that particular time and place. See, most people would start school at about the age of five, just like our kids. This was this primary school was called Bet Sefer, uh, the house of the book. And the curriculum was the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible. Right? And because it was an oral culture, what they would mostly do is memorize the scriptures. So that by the age of 12 or 13, they'd have the, the whole Torah memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all, all up here. Right? Everything they needed to organize their lives as good and faithful Jewish men and women. And at that point, most kids would be sent off to apprentice in their family trade. Right? They, they'd learn to be stonemasons or farmers or weavers or tent makers or like Simon and Andrew, James and John, they'd learn to be fishermen. 
more or less whatever their parents did and their parents before them. But the best students would continue on to the, to the kind of second tier of learning. The brightest ones would, would go on to what was called Bet Midrash, uh, the house of learning. And they would spend the next few years poring over the scriptures and memorizing the entire Hebrew Bible, Torah, the prophets, writings, memorized. At which point their formal education for the vast majority of people would end, uh, which seems like a good idea, that sounds exhausting. And they would be told at this point to, to go and make babies and pray that they become rabbis and ply your trade, which, you know, it's not the worst assignment in the world. That, that was life for the pretty smart kids. But the best of the best, the smartest kids, they would apply to apprentice under a rabbi. This was like the Ivy Leagues, right? Even more exclusive. I mean, you basically had to, to find a rabbi uh, whose teaching, whose yoke you were drawn to, and you had to impress him, right? The rabbi would grill you on your knowledge and interpretation of the scriptures, and on your general way of being in the world. And if after grilling you, he thought that you had what it took to be his student, he'd say, all right, come follow me. And you would spend the next several years doing literally that just following your rabbi with him 24-7, learning to do what he does, getting his teaching so deep inside you that in the end you would be able to perfectly represent him. Your whole life was organized around being with your rabbi, becoming like your rabbi, and doing what your rabbi does. And the goal wasn't just to copy someone else to kind of become an avatar of your rabbi, but to become a rabbi yourself. Eventually, your rabbi, the hope is that your rabbi would, would discern that you had learned everything you needed to know, that you, he could trust you to be faithful with your teaching and your training and the ways and means of God, and he would say, okay, now you go and make disciples. Right? You might remember that that's the way the Gospel of Matthew ends, with Jesus, with the disciples at the, on the mountain, and he says, you know, like, we, we've done it, this is it, now you go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. That's life as a disciple of a rabbi. So back to the shores of Galilee. Right? One thing that we can know for sure in this story is that Simon, Andrew, James, and John were at best second-tier students, <laughs> Right? And more likely, they were sent off to learn the family trade at 12 or 13, like most of their friends. They were not the best of the best. They didn't have the chutzpah. There wasn't a rabbi in the world who would take them on, who thought that they could do what he did. Except for one. Except this weird rabbi who's been walking around Galilee, preaching the good news of repentance and the kingdom of God. So when Jesus says, it shows up and he says, says, come follow me. It'd be like a major league baseball scout walking in here and offering me a pitching contract having never seen me throw a ball, right? I, I would definitely think about taking off my mic and following that guy wherever he wanted to go, right? It would be both impossible and a dream come true, a dream so wild that I never even bothered to have it, <laughs> right? And when Jesus says, come follow me, Zebedee might be, have been a little bit startled when his boys jumped ship halfway through a shift. He might also been, have been crying tears of joy. His boys might become a rabbi. This is what they'd been praying for. There was no higher honor. 
If they hadn't dropped their nets, he might have kicked them out of the boat himself. So on the one hand, it makes, it makes way more sense than it seems at first, right? And on the other, I think it's every bit as incredible as we might think. It's even more incredible when we know the rest of the story, right? We know uh, the sorts of things Jesus will do, the kind of person he is, the power of his presence, the intensity of his passion. This is Jesus who heals the sick and raises the dead, whose teaching transforms lives, and whose proclamation of a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, is so forceful, so powerful, that those who are committed to the current order of things kill him. And even that won't stop it. And Jesus thinks that these guys, these fishermen of questionable academic capacity, can do what he does. He wants them with him because he believes they can be like him. That's what these boys are signing on for. And as Mark tells this story, I think the point is that we're called to sign on too, right? The point of the Gospels is not just to tell a story, but to get us into the story. This isn't just about a biography of Jesus. This is about getting us into the life of Jesus. And Jesus is a rabbi, which means Jesus is every bit as interested as having a, in having us follow as he was in those fishermen on the shores of Galilee. Right? By the Holy Spirit, he walks in and invites us into his way. And he'll equip us with his yoke, and he'll send us out to be his representatives in the world. And for Mark, this is, this is key. This story is pretty much the first thing we get in his gospel. Mark isn't too interested in angels and shepherds or wise men and family trees. He, he doesn't make any of the wild theological claims that his colleague John makes. He just starts off with a bang. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then we're in the thick of it. Right? John the Baptist gets us ready for a few verses, but then Jesus is here calling disciples. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what he does is what matters to Mark. And he wants us to know that that invitation is not contingent on our capacity. Right? It's not dependent on what we bring to the table. All of that will get inter integrated as we walk the path that Jesus is carving, the path that leads to life. But the point of the fisherman's story is that this is not about what we have to offer, not about what we bring to the table. That's not where we begin. We begin with Jesus' call to follow, to be with him, to become like him and do as he does. And I think it's really important for the church as a whole, our congregation, but the, the, every, every church, to sit in this gospel moment. Because the fact is that each one of us is following somebody or something, and I know that might feel like cultural heresy, but our lives are not shaped in a vacuum. I know algorithms and advertisements would have us believe that we are our own selves, that we are making our own choices, that we are doing our own thing. We are individuals. But it just doesn't take too much digging to know that's not really true. We're all being shaped by something or someone. And the big problem, I think, is that it's often unconscious. I mean, it may seem reckless for Simon and the others to drop their nets to leave everything and follow Jesus wherever he's going, but, but at least it was a conscious choice. I mean, too often we're simply carried along by whatever current we happen to find ourselves in. And depending on the current, that may not be all bad, it may not be the worst thing. A lot of people are making objectively fine lives for themselves. I think the bigger problem for the church is that we live in a time when it's possible to be a Christian without becoming Christ-like. 
Right? We, we can claim the name of Jesus without the way of Jesus. We can wear a cross around our neck while being led along by the invisible, invisible leash of something else, something decidedly less. And from the start of his gospel, Mark wants us to know that we are being called to something more, something more than making a living, something more than expressing ourselves, something more than doing what we've always done. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's why the first call is to repentance, right? The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And then Jesus calls these no-name, unimpressive teenage fishermen to get in on it. Now, to repent is to change our minds. It's to go in new directions, to choose another way. It's a choice of allegiance. And to follow Jesus is to choose the way of heaven's kingdom to choose in whatever we do, to trust that prayer that we just sang with those kids, that the kingdom of heaven will come on earth, or the kingdom of God will come on earth as it is in heaven is not just something we say that it's the promise that can form the foundation of our lives. Only we're so easily convinced to make it the wallpaper of our lives rather than the foundation. Right? We get the posters of Jesus but it's just decoration. I don't want my, my, my life decorated by Jesus. I want to be conformed to the way of Jesus, transformed to the kingdom of heaven, because that's where the good stuff is. I want our lives and our church to be more and more a place where, as Simon will put it, years later in a letter that he's going to write, where we'll become living stones, the building blocks of heaven's kingdom. And think about this. We're not just called to believe in Jesus. We're called to believe that Jesus believes in us. Right? By the Holy Spirit, Jesus walks into our lives and looks at us in the eyes and says, I think you've got what it takes. I think you have everything that the kingdom of heaven needs. Come follow me. One who knows us better than we know ourselves through whom we are created in eternal love, believes that we are fit to be ambassadors of heaven's kingdom. I dare say Jesus thinks more of us than we do. Jesus believes that we can do what he does. We can learn to walk in the world in the way that he does. We can be agents of grace, beacons of mercy, living, breathing icons of God's love for all things. You know, the point of discipleship is that wherever the disciple finds herself, it's as if the teacher is there. And what would it look like in our work, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in checkout lines, in classrooms, in boardrooms, in offices, in job sites, in art studios, and in our free time, in our daily grinds, to know that wherever we are and whatever we're doing, Jesus has called us and claimed us and will heal us and send us out to do what he does. To heal the sick in body and soul, to bring life where there's death. Claim good news to the poor, release for the captives, to add holy flavor in a sin-bland world, to be light for eyes gone dim. What would it look like to organize our lives around spending time with Jesus so that we can become like Jesus and do as he does? And here, you might be thinking to yourself, it's a nice idea, Aaron, but my life is way too fill-in-the-blank, Right? And even if we could organize our whole lives around the way of Jesus, just look at the state. I mean, the whole world is not conducive to the kind of radical stuff that Jesus seems to want from his disciples. Both Jesus and Mark would say, 
Yeah, exactly. It's exactly right. If you feel that way, you're onto something. Well, maybe the most startling thing the whole in our whole reading for today is the first line. Right now, after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news. You can almost hear the record scratched before the music starts. Right? Jesus couldn't have shown up before John got arrested. <laughs> like the Messiah couldn't have done something about his best preacher getting thrown in jail and ultimately executed. I mean, maybe. But also maybe the point is that the kingdom of God is coming not because the conditions are right, but in spite of the fact that they aren't. I think the point is that Jesus is calling people to repentance, to choose his way over any other, right in the thick of the way that things are. He's calling us towards the way that things will be when God gets what God wants while they are radically otherwise. It's like Jesus and Mark want us both to know that the kingdom of God is not a scorched earth offensive. It's not a hostile takeover. It's more like a woman who sneaks yeast into some bread dough and it leavens the whole thing, as Jesus will teach. It's more like an inconspicuous mustard seed that grows into an unwieldy bush. Like adding salt to a dish or lighting an oil lamp in a dark room. It's not a lightning bolt conversion. It's an invitation to follow and learn a different rhythm. To turn from the distractions and deceptions of the world around us and fix our eyes on the one who will lead us in the way of life. A lot of what I've said today comes from reflection on, on this book, uh, you'll tell that I just stole the title for a lot of it, uh, Practicing the Way, Being with Jesus, Become Like Jesus, Do as Jesus Did, uh, by John Mark Comer. I read that this week. I'd love to read this book with anybody who'd like to read it uh, with me. Uh, if the cost of it is prohibitive, let me know. We'll figure that out. Um, But I want to finish by reflecting on a conversation he tells about a spiritual director who said that the biggest challenge for most people uh, when it comes to discipleship is time. Right? We are relentlessly busy. We often glorify busyness. I mean, it's like the most impressive thing you can say when someone asks how you are, right? Oh, I'm so busy. <laughs> you don't very often ask people how they are, and they say, oh, I'm great. I didn't do anything today. Right? <laughs> Organizing our lives around the way of Jesus seems impossible when we barely have enough time to do all the other stuff. But I think if we feel that way, it means we're trying to make Jesus the wallpaper of our lives, not the foundation. And I think more than anything, that will be deeply unsatisfying. I don't think it's a matter of, of, of like salvation. I, this is not about life after death. It's about life while we're alive. <laughs> Right? And the fact is, most people, if studies are to be trusted, uh, spend two to five hours a day engrossed in some kind of digital media, or phones, or TVs, or computers, whatever. Like, most of us have time. Plus, following Jesus is not another thing to do. In fact, it may, and it will almost certainly, require us to let some things go. Simon, Andrew, James, and John had to drop their nets if they were going to follow Jesus. They couldn't have made it very far if they tried to drag those nets along the dusty roads of Galilee, and just in case they wanted to go back to fishing. I want to invite us all, myself included, to, to take more and more seriously this call to give Jesus the first fruits of our lives, not just the leftovers. To really trust that when he invites us to be with him as the first step, 
that he means it. And there are all kinds of ways to do that, to spend time in Jesus' presence, to let him love us and convince us that we can do what he does. And you know some of those, and if you need a fresh way to experience that, I'm, talk to me. If you already have a spiritual practice that you do each day, maybe add 15 minutes and just see what happens. If you don't have a spiritual practice at all, maybe start with 15 minutes and see what happens. If 15 minutes feels like too much, I got a good podcast that's eight minutes long. I will share it with you. Now and listen and, and, and pay attention to his, his promise that we can be like him, that we can do as he does, and that he believes that more than we do, and that he'll give us everything we need to make it happen. Trust that anything that we are asked to give up, to leave behind, is only to make space in the way things are for the sake of the way that they will be when all things, even us, are made new. Maybe so. Thank you.